we are gonna be in Acts 28 this week, so go ahead and open there in your Bibles. And before we get going in there, I wanna just share something that has to do with what we're gonna be focusing on today. So before I was the lead pastor at this church, if you guys haven't been here for, I think of almost five and a half years now, um, before that, I was the uh, young adult pastor or leader of this church for somewhere around seven or eight years, something we came here in 2007, moved up from Southern Oregon, and a couple years after that, um, I actually remember we were at some sort of leadership retreat, and I was sitting in the hot tub with Michael Slivkoff at a hotel, and we were praying about the Lord, like, creating some sort of opportunity for a young adult group, because we just saw the need for it, and there was nothing like that, really, in the whole county, and sure enough, soon after that, the Lord kind of opened up that door, and what started out is this small group of young adults gathering in a house turned to uh, more than 50 people crammed into our little living room at times over, 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 you know, over the years. And uh, for no other reason other than just to, and you know how tiny that, that first house was, right, Lana? Uh, we had this little thousand square, or thousand square foot home total, uh, two bedroom, one bath, up on the hill, like one of those old homes in ni- built in 1930, had this little living room, and we'd have all these young adults just sitting on the floor and lining the staircase, and they just loved it. And, and it was just simply to gather, hang out together, break bread or eat food, go through the word, talk about Jesus, worship together, and pray. That, that's all we did. And sometimes we'd have people visit the group, either from the church or from other churches, they, you know, adults sharing their testimonies or teaching the word, and, and a lot of them would be surprised. They're just like, wow, this is really fruitful. This is crazy that there's so many people showing up to this. And they would want to know, like, what's the secret to the success of this group? And I would point out to them, like, first and foremost, this isn't, like, because of us or anything. This is the Lord doing this work. But secondly, really, the only, if I had to narrow it down to one thing, it was just being faithful to consistently serve the Lord by opening up our house to these young people. That's what the Lord put on our heart. Just, I want you to welcome the young people into your home, open it up, treat them like family, and that's all we did. One day a week, consistently, that's all we did. And then, as the Lord so often does, just through our simple act of of faithfulness, our simple act of service to him, he takes it and he multiplies it and does something pretty miraculous through it. Actually, Paul had come to know this. In Ephesians 3.20, what he tells us is that now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. How many of you guys have experienced that in your life? You do something that you think is insignificant or simple, and it is in your own power, but God takes it and does something just bigger and better than you could ever imagine. That's what our Lord does, right? And in today's text, we're gonna see as as, as God do something similar through Paul, like basically something that seems like a, a simple act of service and take it and do a miraculous thing that leads to uh, him being able to witness to tons of people, all right? So just to recap, in Acts 27, uh, we finished it up last week. We saw Paul and the rest of the crew that was on this ship, as the ship where he was a prisoner headed to Rome, they, they're, they're in this storm for a couple weeks and it comes to this culmination where they get shipwrecked and uh, they all have to end up swimming for it to shore, which they all do. They all make it to shore safely just as God had told everyone would happen 
through his faithful servant, Paul. So God affirms what he had told him, and that's where we're going to pick it up in Acts 28. Um, let me go ahead and I'm just going to actually read the section we're going to be in today, then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll go through it verse by verse. So it says here in Acts 28, starting in verse 1, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand, or it bit him. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he had escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. Now, and the, people are so finicky, man. They go from thinking he's, he's a murderer to God in a matter of minutes. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island called, uh, named uh, Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius uh, lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also, they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Lord God, again, Father, just uh, it's so good to open up your word just even in the last couple of weeks to hear the testimonies of how you've spoken to people specifically about things going in their life, how you've encouraged them, how you've helped them understand uh, things better that they're facing in their life. Lord, um, we expect you to do the same thing whenever we open your word. This is where we get our understanding. This is where we get our direction. This is where we get our correction when we're needing to be set back on the right path. So, Lord, whatever it is, we know that you know what's going on in our lives, and we want to be ready to hear what it is you want to speak to us. So may we listen and be ready to receive that word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse 1, it says, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. So... The ship's crew, they make it to shore like we saw at the end of the last chapter, and they come to find out they're on the island of Malta, which is cool because if you know the, the area of the Mediterranean they're in, that actually wasn't that far from their final destination. They were going to Rome. Malta's off the tip of Italy. It's kind of an island out there in the Mediterranean. So i just like to point that out because even though they had to face this adversity that was hard being in the storm for a couple of weeks at the mercy of it, even in that adversity, God still did not knock them that far off course. He actually brought them uh, right close to their destination. And he knew in his sovereignty that they wouldn't have gone to this place on their usual trip going to Rome. And he wanted these people to get witness to, as we're going to see in this trip. So he just gave them a little detour. But ultimately, he's going to allow them to get to their final destination all right. Okay, and they're greeted by the native people here who are unusually hospitable to them, which means this isn't the normal treatment, but they're there, the favor of the Lord's on them. The people are helping them. They're helping them get warm, um, starting a fire for them. And the author of the book of Acts, who's Luke, again reiterates in verse one right off the bat that the Lord brought them safely through. 
the storm or the trial that they had been facing, all right? Just as God had told Paul. And I point that out because as believers of Jesus Christ, you guys have that same assurance, all right? That God is always going to bring you through whatever this world throws at you, okay? One of the many places where we have a promise regarding that is Philippians 1, 6, where Paul says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. All right? It doesn't say that God is gonna get annoyed with you and he's gonna give up on you and he's not gonna keep helping you or he's gonna change his mind on his promises to you. No, it says that he who has began the good work will finish it. Absolutely. All right? There's no if or but or when and because God's the one in control of all things, he can actually make a promise like that and keep it. Amen? Amen. So that's important to remember because as Jesus tells us, we're gonna face trials, we're gonna face storms as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, but this is our assurance that we're always gonna come through those all right. In some way or another, God is going to get us through this life and bring us through it all right. And knowing who he is from his word, it should surely give us a confident hope, no matter what this world throws at us, that A, he's gonna be faithful to keep those promises to us, and also he, of all people, because he's sovereign and he's all-powerful and he's in control, is more than able to ensure that you're gonna be all right, just like he ensured Paul and this crew was after telling them they were gonna be, amen? All right, and we gotta remind ourselves of that often. So it says in verse three, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he had escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, justice is actually a reference to this Greek goddess of justice. That was, or her name was in, in Greek was like Dike, but that's why it's capitalized in a lot of your Bibles. Like they're saying this Greek God is surely ensuring justice on Paul it says in verse five, and it says, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire, suffered no harm. And they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. So Paul's out helping gather firewood and feeding the fire with it. And as he's doing that, this snake comes out of the bundle of sticks or wood that he has and it bites him. A snake that must have been venomous because the locals assume, having experience with the snake, that he's gonna die from this bite. The locals believing that Paul must have been getting what he deserved, as they must have somehow known he was a prisoner of Rome, and thinking that basically, all right, well, he's a prisoner, he must have done something really bad, because now he's gonna die. This is what the world would call karma, okay? Basically, the idea that you're gonna get what you deserve. You're gonna reap what you sow. Like basically, if you're a good person, good things are gonna happen to you. If you're a bad person, then bad things are gonna happen to you. And I need to remind us as believers that we don't believe in karma, okay? Because the gospel teaches the exact opposite of that definition, all right? Which is grace, okay? The Bible talks a lot about God's grace, which teaches that God wants to give you the exact opposite of what you deserve based off your actions. See, we deserve judgment 
in wrath, in eternal separation from God because of the sin that we're most certainly guilty of committing in our life. It's not that we're not guilty. It's not that we don't deserve those things. But because of God's great love for us, he sent his son to take that judgment, to take that wrath, to take that punishment our sin deserved upon himself so that we didn't have to. And he did that on the cross. So when we believe in him, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're forgiven of our sin and we're restored to having an eternal relationship with God. So what that means is instead of the judgment that you do deserve, God has brought you into this place since Jesus has really taken that judgment upon himself to receiving his grace instead. Actually, John 1.16 tells us it's grace upon grace. And the idea of that is that God's favor on you will never end for all eternity from the moment you place your faith in Jesus. Amen? I'm glad you're excited, Lil. That's pretty good news, okay? That is why it's called good news. That's the promise we have from God. And if you think about it, this is really great because it is horrible to live under the burden of karma, which really is understandable when we don't have God's word and we don't have the promises that are attached to it, when we aren't made aware of these things. To live under this burden or this fear that, oh man, I'm gonna get what I deserve because to some degree, we all realize we're not perfect. We all realize we've done bad things. We all realize, therefore, that, yeah, I, I, this, this trial I'm going through, this storm, I deserve what I'm getting. And that's a heavy thing to live under, right? And God's freed you of that. That's what it's talking about in 1 John 4, 18, when it says perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So that fear of punishment, of getting what you deserve has been cast out, been thrown away because God has said, oh yeah, you did deserve that, but my son took it. So now you just deserve my grace, my faith. Even though you don't deserve it, you do deserve it because I've made that decision and I love you and I've made it possible for you to get that. And you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid of bad things. That's where fear comes from. But God has removed every reason for that fear. And that's what we're constantly learning in our life to live in that promise. Amen? All right. So the locals, they expect Paul to drop dead, but instead he just shakes it off, suffers no harm from the bite as verse five says. And this gives us another example of how when we are faithfully serving God, that does not in any way exclude you from adversity in your life, okay? Because what Paul's doing here, he's just being a servant. He's just gathering sticks for the fire to keep everyone warm. And how's he rewarded by his efforts? He gets bit by a poisonous snake, right? And so it, it being in the midst of serving others when sometimes you do face adversity, Sometimes you do face attacks, and that can look a lot of different ways. Maybe it's even from the people you're trying to serve, right? And it can be super discouraging, and that's what the enemy wants to use it for. He wants to discourage you from continuing on to do what God has called you to do so that you can experience him and other people can be blessed by him as well through him working through you, all right? But the way Paul reacts to the trial, it gives us another great example because it would have been really easy for him to get frustrated and go like, really, Lord? What the heck? I'm just trying to serve these people. Or maybe he just got frust turned that frustration on the people he was serving and just go like, you guys weren't so lazy. I wouldn't have had to gone and done this and this wouldn't have happened. But he just calmly shakes it off and he keeps on pressing forward, just faithfully doing the Lord's work. 
which shows us that he must have had great confidence in God's word to him because up to this point, God has promised multiple times, you're gonna get to Rome, you're gonna get to Rome. So he must have really believed that, like, well, if they say it's poisonous, that's fine, but it ain't gonna hurt me or I'm gonna live from it, whatever, because God's already told me where I'm gonna go. And again, the way he reacts to that adversity in his life becomes a testimony to these people who had surely seen their friends and family, judging by their reaction up to this point, get bit by the same type of snake numerous times and die from it, but not Paul. And this miracle of Paul being unharmed by the snake bite gains him an audience with these native people, at first for the wrong reason, because they think he's a god, right? Which surely it wasn't. But nonetheless, it, he has their attention and he can point them now to the true God, which is what we're gonna see him do in the following verses. He's gonna take advantage of this situation because he's got their undivided attention to preach Jesus to them, all right? And this is a good example for us in how the world is rarely drawn to Jesus through the sight of Christians prospering, but rather what captivates the attention of those around us most often is seeing believers go through hard things and not give up. Just shake it off and keep going. Not that you're not suffering. I mean, it's still hard to go through hard things, but you have a reason to keep going that the rest of the world doesn't. And when they see that, it's a witness to them. And that's just what we see with Paul going through the storm in Acts 27. And now we see it now through bitten bitten by a snake. So that's something that's important for us to remember. When you're going through something hard, to remind ourselves to go to God and go like, so what do you want to use this for, God? I know this isn't wasted. I mean, you're using it on me to refine me and make me more mature, but how do you want to use this to reveal yourself to other people? And something else I want to point out before we move on is I want you to note how this opportunity started for God to do something miraculous in Paul's life and protecting him from a venomous snake bite and utilizing it is a testimony to the unbelievers around him so he could ultimately have an op opportunity to share his faith with them. Because it all started with what? Him just being a servant. Doing something small and exceedingly insignificant by his account or by people's account by just picking up firewood. And it would have been so easy for him to have a different attitude in this situation if I put myself in it. I mean, he could have been bitter at the fact that they didn't listen to him and they were shipwrecked because of that and they were in the rain and they were on a cold beach. He could have had the attitude of like, you guys reap what you sow, I ain't doing nothing. You should have listened to me and this wouldn't have happened. He could have had an attitude of like, I'm a prisoner here. I'm not gonna do nothing for anyone. You guys can all serve me, you take care of yourselves. He could have had an attitude of like, there's 275 other people here. And all these natives, someone else can do it. I don't need to do it. Could have had an attitude of like, man, do you know the last couple weeks I've gone through? They were stressful. I've been through a lot. I just need a break. Somebody else can take care of it for right now. But instead, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, sees a simple opportunity to serve people by just picking up sticks for a fire. And he's like, you know what? I can do that. I'll do it. And he just does it. And God's able to do something pretty miraculous through that small act of service that gives Paul a testimony with the other people around him so he could share his faith with them. And, and, and this is, it shows us, what it shows us is a good thing we have to remember is that the big miraculous things that we wanna see God do always start 
through some small faithful act of service. That's all it takes. That's all he needs. And he can do something great with it. We see a good example of uh, um, uh, Zerubbabel being reminded of this in the book of Zechariah. And just to give you some context, what's happening here is after the Israelites are um, in exile for their sin, their unrepentant sins for 70 years in Babylon, and the Lord, when they get to that place of repentance and returning to the Lord, he brings them back to the promised land just like he said he would. And, and they start this long and tedious project of building the temple. The temple is grand as it was when Solomon built it and had been totally destroyed. And they're starting from scratch to build this thing. God encourages Zerubbabel through the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 4, 9 through 10 by saying, Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. I love that because the Lord knew that looking at the grand, the grand scheme of things, this big, or this big undertaking to rebuild the temple, he knew it, this is gonna be discouraging to just be laying out the foundation, to be holding the plumb line and, and setting that because there's a whole lot of work after this but he wanted to encourage Zerubbabel, man, you are pleasing me that you're doing this first task, that you're doing this simple thing, because here's the thing, it's gonna lead to this magnificent temple being rebuilt. This place of worship that we need, that you guys need to keep your focus on me and come and worship me. He's like, it's gonna happen, but it has to start in these small things, so you're doing a good thing. You're being faithful, all right? And need I remind us that Jesus ultimately is the example of a servant, a faithful servant that we're called to follow, right? It says in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this, this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you, if it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's, that's our identity in Christ. It's a servant. And we have to remind ourselves or understand me, if you, if you aren't familiar with kind of, you're just learning these things, understand that it's not because God needs you to do anything. <laughs> He's plenty capable of doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants. So that's not the reason why we're called to serve him but rather because God wants to do great things in and through us, through our faithful service to him, just like we see him do here with Paul in Acts 28, which he knows is gonna bless us when we get to see him do these miraculous things through you, amen? Paul had learned this in his life, and he tells us in Acts 20, 35, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, he's not saying that boastfully. He's just saying, guys, of all people, you've seen how I live my life. I don't, I'm not living to be served by anyone. I am living to serve others. Because I've come to know that what Jesus said, that this is gonna result in a greater blessing in my life, I've experienced that. And that's how I live. And if you want a good definition of a biblical definition of what it looks like servant or serve, we see a lot of that in the New Testament. It is, it is this, like Paul's life. Basically, you live to serve others instead of looking to be served. 
And that's something God has to produce in us because that is not the way we're naturally wired, right? Before we came to know Jesus, you'd laugh at that because this world teaches you to get to that place where everyone's serving you. Expect that. But that's not the example Jesus set, and that's what he's untraining of us of. And Paul here, he really lived a life that demonstrated this. In fact, in Romans, where we're gonna be at in a couple weeks, Paul, where are you? I know you asked me about that. Where's Paul? Oh, okay. We're gonna be in Romans in a couple weeks, but I, the first verse in Romans, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. I love that. It always strikes me every time I read that because Paul was a pretty great apostle, did a lot of awesome things. That wasn't his identity in life, though. That wasn't he, what he defined himself was. If you look at the order of that, what did he, what did he call himself first? A servant. That was his identity. And that word in the Greek is, it means bondservant. The idea was somebody that had been released from being a slave by somebody, but chose to stay there because they loved their master. They understood their master loved them and they willingly wanted to stay and serve. And that was his identity. He's like, man, I'm a servant. My calling's just what God has specifically told me to do, to be an apostle for him, but I'm a servant first and foremost, no matter what I do. And, and that's how he lived his life, as we see here in Acts 28 and everything else. He lived what he believed, all right? And it's an example that will also follow when we truly understand that if you wanna experience everything God wants to do, when we read about how he wants to bless us, we want to, he wants us to experience his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you wanna see him do miraculous things in your life, this is what he works through. Through our faithfulness to serve him by serving others, amen? And that's ultimately what we gotta remember who we're serving, right? That's why you see a lot of verses when they're talking about serving, it says serve as unto him. Because sometimes it's hard to serve others. Sometimes they, they, they don't deserve the service, but we're not giving them what they deserve. We're showing grace as God's shown us grace. And so we got to ultimately remember it's because of what he's done for us, how he's served us, that we serve him and we do that by serving others. Now it says in verse seven, now in the neighborhood of that place where were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So Paul and his companions, they continue to be shown great hospitality on Malta as the main leader of the island takes them in and makes sure they're well taken care of. And while they're with him, Paul becomes aware that his father is ill and he shows his servant heart again in wanting to go see him and see if there's anything he can do for him. And because of his desire to serve others, Paul gets this opportunity to show his faith in God by praying for Publius. And God responds by showing how real he is by answering that prayer in a miraculous way and healing him and also confirming that, oh yeah, Paul is speaking on my behalf. The God he's telling you about, who you can have a relationship through, through faith in Jesus, I'm real. That's how you just got healed miraculously, all right? 
It confirmed who Paul was. Paul giving us a great example here of how to approach people that are struggling with illness. Number one, go and visit them, especially if they can't come see you because that gives the Lord an opportunity to do something through you. And then second, pray for them. Maybe God wants to heal them. Maybe he is gonna heal them eventually when they get to heaven. Maybe not right here. We don't know. We give it to God. But we pray and we encourage them. We remind them of God's promises because they probably need to hear that. Amen? But that act of service by Paul, again, just a simple act, going and praying for somebody, creates even further open doors to minister people on the island is all the other people that hear about it. They hear about this guy that's praying in the name of Jesus and, and, and talking about Jesus and how his God healed this man. And so they're bringing all their sick to him too. And God answered those prayers by healing them as well. And it's interesting because the Greek word used for cured in verse nine isn't typically a word that was used for miraculous hearing, but rather for those that would receive medical attention or therapy. And if you know who's with Paul here, Luke, who Colossians 4.14 says was a doctor, it may be that people, that God was not only healing people miraculously through prayer, but also through Luke's faithfulness to attend to them medically, which I think is kind of cool because God's like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna give all the action to Paul. I'm gonna give some to the other believers with him too and uses their gifts to help these people miraculously too so they all get to, to give them an understanding of who's doing this, ultimately God, right? Because whether if he's healing people miraculously or whether he's doing it through more conventional methods medically, at the end of the day, Paul, Luke, and Aristocharis, the Christians who were on this ship, got a chance to share the good news of Jesus with these people or who, what God it was that was actually healing them. So these people had an opportunity to get saved and know him as well. Amen? And the people of the island are very thankful for the blessing God bestowed upon them through Paul and his companions. And they send them off with honor. They give them all the supplies they need as they were able to find another ship and continue on in their journey. So in closing, Paul's simple act of service to others and just Picking up sticks for a fire is what God is what allowed God to miraculously work through him so that ultimately he ended up with the opportunity, him and the other believers with him ended up with the opportunity to witness to the whole entire island. And it all started with that simple act of service just to get firewood. Pretty awesome, right? Wouldn't you say so? But here's the thing. As cool as that was, what God did for him, the thing is he wants to do that same thing through our lives. That wasn't just for him. And if we're willing to give him a chance, he's more than willing to do those miraculous things through us. I think of a great example in Luke 9 where Jesus did something similar through his disciples. Starting in verse 10, it says, when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. And then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethesda. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him and he welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. And late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. And they answered, or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? 
for there were about 5,000 men there, so even more, that was just the men. And Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Sometimes our biggest hindrance to serving God is thinking that we have too little to offer him. We think, I'm not equipped. I don't have any experience with this. I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm a new Christian. Here's the thing you gotta understand from the earliest point of you getting saved. Your insufficiency is what makes you sufficient to be served by God or to be used by God to serve him, all right? Actually, the more insufficient you realize you are, the better off you are because the more you'll rely on God. And God has a way of humbling us when we think we aren't, we, we think we're sufficient in our own power so that he gets us to be more usable for him the longer we follow Jesus. It's the opposite. You actually should not be gaining faith in yourself. You just realize that, man, I am, I am weak without God and I just need him to do anything because I can't do anything apart from him. Amen? And so, like, these guys had to understand that. The key is, is that we bring what we have to Jesus first, and we do that by staying close to him and relying on him through prayer and just being around his people. When we stay close to him, that is, we tend to, it, it tends to come to our mind, first and foremost, to bring what we have to him before going out and trying to do it ourselves, or if, especially if it's something that seems impossible, we bring it to him, and then guess what he does? He gives it back to us to redistribute through others with his blessing on it that just multiplies it and turns it into something we can never turn it into ourselves, right? And what we have to understand is that sometimes before he gives it back to us, it's gonna involve breaking. It's gonna involve adversity, just like we see Paul get bit by a snake. But here's the thing, because of the promises the Lord has given to us in his word, we, like Paul, can shake it off, just keep faithfully serving him and going forward, and knowing that often it's God, God is gonna work through that breaking. He's gonna work through that adversity. That's the very thing he's gonna use to captivate the people around you so you can, he can be glorified in your life. And you can, you can tell them about him. And then we get to just watch him do something miraculous with our meager offering so that he can show himself to anyone that's there and willing to, to look and be exposed to the obvious of how miraculous his hand is in your life. Amen? So as the worship team comes up here, there's two questions I want you to ask yourself as we go into this response time. And these two questions, depending on how you answer them, could really be the reason why you're either truly experiencing all God has for you in the miraculous things he wants to be doing in your life, or you're not experiencing those things. The first question being, am I living to serve others or looking to be served myself? Am I living to serve others or looking to be served myself? You don't need to answer that to me. Answer that with the Lord. The second one being, am I doing the things God has asked me to or am I avoiding them? Am I doing the things God has asked me to or avoiding them? Again, depending how you answer these, probably is resulting in whether you're experiencing everything God wants you to experience in your life or you're not. Whether you're seeing God do miraculous things in your life or you're not. 
If we see a need somewhere, chances are the Lord is showing it to us, not so we bring it to others' attention to take care of it, or not so that we complain or are critical of how this thing isn't getting done right in the church. Chances are he's bringing it to your attention because it's something that he's uniquely gifted and called you to do so that you get to see him do something miraculously in and through you in your faithfulness to just do that simple thing. Like Paul, if we see a fire that needs firewoods, instead of telling the person next to you, hey, that fire needs firewood, go get it. Or someone should take care of that. Or complaining, go like, man, there ain't nobody here to do this thing. It's not getting done the way I like. Or right. That's not what he's telling you to do. He's telling you that or showing you that because he wants you to go and pick up sticks and put them in the fire so that you give him a chance to do something miraculously, miraculous in and through your simple act of faithful service to him. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 tells us, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. I need to remind myself that a lot, especially when you're facing adversity and serving others. It's easy to get weary. It's easy to get tired. That's why Paul's telling you, don't give in to that. Don't give in to that. And then he follows up with the reason why. He says, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. That's a promise. It might not come as quickly as you'd like, but at the right time, you will reap. It's not just a little blessing. It's like a whole harvest. That is guaranteed if you stay faithful in your service to God, especially at those times when you feel like quitting or throwing in a towel or just too tired to do anything. Keep going. That's why Paul's encouraging us, keep going. We all feel that way often but, God, but Paul says, just keep going. This is what I've learned. If you're willing to keep going, if you're willing to keep serving, even if you don't understand why, you're gonna get a harvest of blessing. That's what I've seen in my life, and I want you to experience that same thing in your life. And then he goes on to say, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, or we should serve everyone, especially those in the family of faith. I like that little ending where he says, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't wanna be so busy serving everyone outside the church that we forget that this is our family and we tend to family first and foremost. You know why? Because this is the soil that you grow in, that your kids grow in. This is the soil that you're inviting those people to come to. And if this soil isn't tended to, what 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, that if every single one of us has a unique and important role in God's church, and if we're not serving in that role, that the rest of us hurt. And if we're all doing what we're supposed to do, then the rest of us all benefit. And we want this garden, this soil, to be the healthiest so that we're being fed and we're being watered and we're, being, and we're growing. And then when we invite people here, them and their families are getting the same thing. Amen? That's what he's talking about when he says, yeah, take every opportunity you have to serve anyone. And especially your brothers and sisters, your family. Don't neglect them at all. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so we're gonna respond now. And one of the ways we're gonna do that is we're gonna do communion because again, 
our service is to God, and he, Jesus is the ultimate, ultimate example for us. He gave us the ultimate act of humble service in coming to live as a man, which is a humility we can't even fully fathom. Because this is God we're talking about. Jesus being equal with God, God the Son, coming to humble himself to live as a, a human and then die a sinner's death, not for anything he did wrong, but for everything we did wrong. That is just unfathomable. But that he did for you and your benefit, not for his. Everything he went through, that is the, the example of service that he's given us. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, he's enabled us to do in our own lives. Amen? So that's one of the things we remember. When we take the cracker and we take that represents his body that was broken on the cross for us, when we take the juice that represents his blood, we're remembering, man, Jesus did this for me. Changed my life, rocked my world, allowed him to come into my life and set it right on the right path, enables me to, to know him and have him to lead me through this life and enables me to do those things that I can't do myself. That's all because of that. Through that that ultimate act of service, he did the ultimate miracle in saving you for all eternity. And so it's that reminder to us that, man, I wanna serve as he served me. I wanna serve him. I wanna, like Paul, that's my identity. I'm a servant of Jesus. I wanna go from here and just see those opportunities he gives me. Oh, there's a piece of trash on the ground. Well, I'm gonna pick it up. Oh, there's a shopping cart sitting in the middle of the parking space. I'm gonna go put it back. Why? Well, I'm gonna be a servant. Maybe the Lord's gonna do something miraculous through it. Maybe that's gonna lead to the parking attendant saying like, hey, that's really cool. Nobody does that. Well, I'm just trying to be a servant. Why would you wanna be that way? Actually, because I'm a Christian and this, Jesus has done a lot for, more for me. This is just a simple thing. You don't know. But what God loves to do is take those simple acts of faithfulness and use them to do great things. And if we never do them, then we never get to see him do that. Amen? So going back to those questions, we're gonna take communion first, remind ourselves of the ultimate act of service that's been done for us, rejoice in that, and then come before God and just be honest. Am I living my life with that servant heart? Am I looking to be served by my spouse, my kids, by the people at my work, by the people at the church, my church family? Or am I having this attitude of like, man, I'm here to serve? Am I looking at those dishes in the sink and thinking, man, my wife should really do that? Or am I just, oh, I'll do it. I won't bless her. Am I looking at that chore, and I'm not saying chores are bad, that my kids should be doing and getting angry? Or maybe just take advantage of the opportunity of like, you know, I'm just gonna serve. I'm gonna get it done for him. Bless him today, show him grace. Am I gonna like wait and just let there be no fourth and fifth kids ministry? Or am I gonna like, you know what? I felt this prompting by the Holy Spirit for the last couple months and I can do that. I love kids. I'm gonna go sign up. And through those simple of just saying yes to God when he's prompting you to do something, it opens up the door to him to do awesome things and use it for his glory, amen? So come before him and be honest. Lord, do I have the right heart? 
Help me have the right heart if I don't have the right heart because I wanna have the right heart, Lord. And are there things that I'm not doing that you want me to be doing? Help me see those things. Let me just listen and not question. I'm really good when you tell me to pick up that gum wrapper, like, why? (laughs) Just help me not be a why person. Help me just do it. Doesn't it drive you crazy when your kids ask why? My youngest is at that why stage. Why? 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 Just do it, Zeke. (laughs) Why? I don't wanna be that why person with God. I just wanna do it. Of all people, I should listen to him, amen? Lord God, be with us in this time, Lord. We're so thankful as we take this cracker and this juice. We're so thankful for the ultimate act of service you've done for us, Lord, because it's, it's brought us. It's the reason we can come here and know you're here. It's the reason that we have such assurance in the storms we face in this life. It's, it's the reason that we know that anything we do for you will be significant in eternity. It's not because of us, it's because of you. All our hope is, 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 is found at the cross, Lord. So we wanna remind ourselves of this. And Lord, because of this, this great demonstration you've given us, because of your great love, you've served us in this magnificent way and done truly the most miraculous thing we'll ever see in, in forgiving us of our sins and making us a new creation in Christ and, and saving us for all eternity. Lord, we wanna follow that example. We wanna serve as you served us and allow you to do those same miracles through us in other people's lives. So Lord, show us even now, we're glad we have you to guide us, but show us even now if there's things in our lives that we should be doing that we're not and correct our hearts if they're wrong, Lord. We need you to help us with that. We can't do it ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.